Welcome to DocuTalks, a podcast about documentaries mostly from Netflix. Chelsea and Michelle may be from two different generations, but they both share a passion for talks of true crime, murder, and documentaries with flair. Join these chatty bitches while they dish the latest hot documentary on DocuTalks. Welcome to DocuTalk. Today we are covering Athlete A from Netflix. So just a warning, we use explicit language, and in particular we're going to be talking about child sexual abuse in this episode. So I'm Michelle. And I'm Chelsea. So Chelsea, what have you been up to this week? Okay, so I've been on holidays, which has been really lovely. (laughs) And I've been reading a lot and listening to a lot of podcasts. So one of my favorite books I read recently was The Huntress by Kate Quinn. The story follows a notorious Nazi criminal, so a female Nazi criminal, who was known for killing children during um, the war, and a pilot from the Russian Night Witches, and also a journalist who ends up turning into a Nazi hunter. So it the story is told from these three different perspectives, and they also are doing it um, in flashbacks as well as like the present time and the story is all kind of weaved together. It was such a gripping book. It was so well written. And then it's gotten me really interested in all the stories of the female pilots, specifically the Night Witches Brigade and a lot of the um, female soldiers during World War II. My favorite part about the book was that in the back she has further reading. So she had fiction and nonfiction books. So she suggested at least 20 books on the topic. Yeah. And the books I've actually started reading them. So I'm reading one of the series that she discusses in the back of the book and which is another phenomenal series. So I just love that. And you don't always um, see that in books, especially historical fiction. Often it'll just be their bibliography. So I like that she had a mix of nonfiction and fiction that were still based loosely on the same topics or topics that are covered in the book. So I loved that. And it was also neat to see the war from a Russian perspective because you don't always, ha- it's not always Russian perspective. It's often a lot of British perspective, German perspective, American perspective. So it was great to see what the war was like as a Russian soldier. I think that's really interesting that she recommended other books. That's cool. I know. It's fascinating. I was going to talk about a podcast I also listened to, if that's okay with you, Michelle. (laughs) You're so greedy sometimes. Okay, go ahead. I know, but I was on holidays, so I've been been (laughs) doing a lot of reading and listening. But I just finished The Bad Batch by Wondery, and it's all about stem cells and the stem cell industry. It was fascinating. Uh, Really, really great. And so if you guys are thinking about getting stem cells done or interested in learning about the medical field a bit more and like what's going on. I would really listen to it, especially if you like true crime. I'm not going to lie. It made me want to get stem cell (laughs) treatments if I ever needed them. I was like, wow, they sound like the wonder drug, but I would get stem cells harvested from my own body. Well, I was just, I was just going to say, because I listened to Bad Batch and uh-huh. I'll tell you, it made me not want to get stem cells, right? Because really, it was all about these stem cells not delivering what they promised and not being 
legitimate. Real. So how do yeah, you know? Real. But you can get stem cell therapy that uses and harvests stem cells from your own body as opposed to purchasing pre-made stem cells. So, and they interviewed people who had had that procedure done and then on top of that had another procedure done where they had purchased already made stem cells or already harvested stem cells from the umbilical cord or whatever. So for me, I was like, uh, yeah, I would totally, if I had to, get stem cells harvested from my own body <laughs> because it sounds really good. Oh, my goodness. I'm just I'm just thinking long term here, Michelle. <laughs> there you go. Oh, my gosh. Well, I listened to The Dropout, which Anna recommended to us from A Trunk Full of Fridays that was on last week. Um, so it was the story about Elizabeth Holmes who created Theranos and she claimed to have developed some medical technology that would change how we do testing. And of course it was all fake again, kind of another medical story that was all fake. And I find these stories just so incredible to me and I just can't believe how many people are in on these lies and, and the deceit and that they think this is okay I don't know how they live with themselves ethically to tell tell you the honest truth, but I think it's it's worth a listen. It was an interesting podcast, and yeah, it was a good one. I was looking for that when I started listening to The Bad Batch, and I just couldn't remember the name of it, so I, I was like, okay, I'll just listen to The Bad Batch until I can <laughs> remember, but you should yeah. definitely listen to the Behind the Bastards episode of her. It's really good, too, uh, so if you're yeah. interested in that... Yeah. Listeners. So, Chelsea, what did you think of this documentary? Oh, Michelle, I had so many thoughts and just so many, like, it was such a powerful documentary. It really evoked a lot of feelings and emotions and thoughts for me. So the documentary, I feel, though, was just like the tip of the iceberg. I just feel like this documentary was just a tiny little snippet. It was fabulous. Do not get me wrong. Like, I loved it. It briefly touched on a lot of issues and left me wanting to know so much more. So I love when a documentary sparks an interest and a desire to dig deeper. There is just um, so many more questions that I want answered about this and the topics that were covered. So I've been doing a lot of research myself and also just, like, keeping my ear to the ground to see any what's going on and what will happen because of this documentary. Mm -hmm. What about you, Michelle? I really liked this documentary too. Of course it's upsetting, but I thought again, it just speaks to how disposable women and young girls are when there's more at risk. So, you know, Mm -hmm. USA gymnastics was a lot more concerned about their reputation than they were about these girls being abused. And we see this in so many of the documentaries we've watched with cases of sexual abuse, just like in Audrey and Daisy, nobody wanted -hmm. wanted to believe these girls. It was more important protecting these, you know, athletes. Right. So it's just so upsetting to me that this still goes on. And again, the blaming of the victims, nobody wants to believe they're telling the truth and that they're, I don't know what they thought they were out for, like, as if Mm -hmm. I would really want my name out there being associated with this and dragged through the mud. But yeah, I know upsetting. I found this documentary like it really not that it hit super close to home. Like when I was growing up, I did gymnastics and figure skating. And let me tell you guys, I was not an elite athlete by any means, but I did it for most of 
my childhood until I got into like middle school, high school. So um, with figure skating, I didn't end up sticking with gymnastics, but the things they're talking about, it happens. Like I saw a lot of it happening, not happening to me because I was never the elite athlete, but you know, like you could see just that culture of the eating disorders and the training until exhaustion, things like that. So for me, like I was just like, yes, People need to know about this, what they're putting their children through. These are mm-hmm. children, you know? It's a lot. It's heavy. Well, I would start with the timeline back by popular demand, right, listeners? I know I didn't have one last episode, so I'm sure everybody was very upset, but there really wasn't one for the minimalism one. But I thought I'd bring back the timeline for this. So I thought I'd just do a quick kind of highlight some significant dates. So 1981, Bella and Marta Caroli defected to the USA. I don't have the exact date Larry Nasser started with USA Gymnastics because they said it was, you know, about 20 years, but he was at the 1986 Olympics. 1997, women had reported abuse of Dr. Nasser at Michigan State University. It's amazing it went back that far. And early 2000, Rachel met Dr. Nassar. 2005, Steve Penny became president of USA Gymnastics. 2014, they had a disposition of Steve Penny, where he really doesn't admit to much. Um, June 2015, Maggie reports abuse of Dr. Nassar. 2015, Dr. Nassar resigned from USA Gymnastics. August 2016 was the first story of abuse by the Indianapolis Star. 2016, August, Rachel calls the police to report the abuse, but the prosecutor declined to charge at that time. And then September 2016, police were able to get a search warrant after more complaints came forward about Dr. Nassar and searched his home. And June 2018 was his sentencing and victims got to read their statements. And January 2018, the Caroli Ranch permanently closed. And October 2018, Steve Penny was arrested for tampering with evidence. So you just see that it went on for so many years, right? Yeah, it was yeah. so deep-seated, honestly. Yeah. So I thought I'd just start by talking a quick minute about the age of the gymnasts. Uh, so the age of gymnasts has changed over the years. So think about it for a minute. In 1956, a Hungarian gymnast named Agnes Coletti won individual gold medals at the age of 35. That is unbelievable to think about now. But in the 70s, that's when the age of gymnasts were getting younger. And it led to the Fédération Internationale de Gymnastique to raise age requirements from 14 to 15 and then to 16 in 1997. Jennifer Say, who wrote the book Chalked Up, said that this led to coaches thinking girls needed to be young and thin to win. And this led to younger and younger girls and, of course, eating disorders. This idea also was that if they started the the girls young, then the coaches could also have total control over these girls, right? So Tracy was another one of the gymnasts they had interviewed, and she said that girls from Romania at competitions never looked happy mm-hmm. because they were really controlled. Well, and I just want to say, uh, Bella and Marta 
defected from Romania. They were the ones in charge of this. And it was Bella who was at the forefront of pushing those young girls. So before I talk about how the age requirements were set for the Olympics, I just wanted to comment on what you said, Michelle, about Agnes Coletti. So I just wanted to include this quote that I read. So while I was researching about the age requirements, I read this quote and it was talking about the women from the 2019 um, Olympic hopefuls for 2019. And it was talking about the 2020 Olympics and how it maybe it was getting delayed until 2021. But in this, they said that there was an alternate and she was a 2016 and 2019 world's alternate who was clinging to one more year of elite gymnastics at 23 clinging that language and the way that they're portraying her like she's not this incredible elite athlete but she's an old washed out hag at 23 that needs to hang up her leotard and get on with life yeah so it's just that comparison oh my goodness so what happened is in 1987 like you said they said gymnasts must be at least 16 years within the calendar year to compete at senior level events. So that means that they can't really compete internationally until they're that age. And also that like, so they can't be world champions and they can't go to the Olympics. Right now, there's this crazy controversy going on because obviously, as everyone knows, they've postponed the 2020 Olympics to 2021. And the FIG has said that Olympic athletes who turn 16 in the 2021 calendar year are allowed to compete in that Olympics, even though they have already chosen the Olympic teams for 2020. And so that means that those athletes might not get preference anymore. Mm-hmm. So they're all, so it's quite a huge scandal right now. Yes. So age restrictions are supposedly designed not so much to level the playing fields in terms of physical advantage, but to protect the children athletes from injury. And it also is put in place to help prevent psychological harm from taking place. So they think that once children are, you know, 16, that they'll be able to withhold the, withstand the the mental pressure, especially from parents and coaches that are overzealous or um, really hard on them. And they think that if they're, if they're younger than that, then it will cause, uh, a lot of like mental health issues and depression. And Bella Caroli was one of the biggest like anti people for this. He, he was really against the FIG's rulings and he believed that the minimum age prevented contenders from competing when they're at their best. And it also cheats fans out of the opportunity to see them. So he thinks that children should start training as young as two. It's just crazy. Well, and I think the thing is when you're saying they put the age limit up to 16 to prevent psychological harm, well, the harm's already there way to begin with, right? It doesn't really prevent you from that psychological harm. I mean, these people are competing at top levels from a very young age, so they already have that pressure there. And, you know, the interesting thing about Nadia, of course, she was really, really big when I was growing up. Uh, So yeah, 
So the interesting thing about her is she no one will ever beat her title because she won at 14 and mm-hmm. you can't compete at 14. So they won't be able to strip her of that honor, right? Yeah. yeah. And it was really interesting because, you know, they have these regulations in place and, they, and they're, it seems like it's for a good reason, but it's not impacting the training at all or like because obviously to become an elite athlete to be able to compete at 16 you've got to start really young yeah I just thought it was crazy but there has been like every year they kind of make it older and older it seems and they're currently because of this documentary and and all of the abuse allegations looking at changing the year level again so it will be interesting mm-hmm in the documentary, we heard about USA Gymnastics. Yeah. So we have a direct quote, like, what USA G- Gymnastics is. And I'm just going to read it. It's from their website. It's basically their mission statement. And then we can unpack it a little bit. So USA Gymnastics is the national governing body for the sport in the United States. It gets this designation from the U.S. Olympic Committee and International Gymnastics Federation. Based in Indianapolis, the organization is committing committed to creating a culture that empowers, supports, and supports its athletes and focuses on its highest priority, the safety and well-being of athletes. USA Gymnastics sets the rules and policies that govern the sport of gymnastics, including selecting and training of the U.S. gymnastics team for the Olympics and the World Championships, promoting and developing gymnastics on the grassroots and national level, as well as a safe and empowered and positive training environment, and serving as a resource center for members, clubs, fans, and gymnastics throughout the United States. USA Gymnastics also provides a continuing continuing education resources for new and experienced coaches, instructors, and professional members. USA Gymnastics encompasses six disciplines, women's gymnastics, men's gymnastics, trampolining and tumbling, rhythmic gymnastics, acrobatic gymnastics, and gymnastics for all, aka group gymnastics. So let's unpack that a little bit. (laughs) Should we just start with what happens to maybe be true in it? That might be easier. I know, right? Like none of it. (laughs) So (laughs) basically that's just a crock of shit, listeners. Yes. Obviously, uh, they have not been empowering and supporting their athletes or placing their safety and well-being at the highest. When Stephen Penny came in, like, so he was basically in the 90s in charge of USA Gymnastics, and he just turned into a cash cow. Yeah. You know, like he, so when it talked about having promoting and developing gymnastics so he basically took that and just was like hey guys how can we make gymnastics a commodity how can we make gymnastics something that makes us money and so all those brand ambassadorships all those sponsorships having their brand everywhere so basically usa gymnastics in the 90s became a brand in itself that was just interested in monopolizing on its athletes' fame and success. It's quite obvious that they have not been doing any of those things that they say they're going to be doing. Other than being in charge for the USA team for the Olympics and the World Championships. I mean, they are in charge of that. They do hold the key for anybody's Olympic future. But... A lot of the other stuff in there, you know, the ethical part of all that statement is really not there. 
No, exactly. And they knew that Caroli had a history of using abusive and demeaning tactics with his athletes. And right away, as soon as they defected, he was slotted into a very coveted position. And his wife sits on the board of choosing the Olympic athletes. And for me, I'm just like, first of all, they defected from from Belarus. And and I'm just like, that was a communist block. They are known to be very aggressive and abusive towards their athletes. And also they're like, they're for, I, I feel really bad, but this is an American organization that is for American athletes. And they're not American, like they weren't mixed national, you know? They were Belarusian. So for me, I was just like, to put a foreigner in charge of, of so much Olympic stuff, I was just like, hmm, especially one with such dangerous history. And they were almost stripped of their, they were almost stripped of their ability to choose the Olympic athletes, Olympic hopeful team after these allegations were made and after the, the court rulings were held. So the only way that they were allowed to keep their ability to designate the Olympics team was if Steve Penny stepped down, which I think is ridiculous because Marta is still, I think she's still on that committee. Oh, I didn't look it up. I don't know what, I assume when their camp closed that they maybe weren't really that involved with gymnastics anymore. They were the ones, basically the national women team coordinators for USA Gymnastics. So they did all the women's teams. Uh, and of course, if anybody follows gymnastics, you know who Bella is. He's been around forever. Yeah, he and of course his claim to fame is co- coaching Nadia, who had the first perfect ten in 1976. Mm-hmm. So that started that trend towards younger women was when she she won, right? And the, of course, their their style is absolute control through physical and emotional abuse. Yeah, right? and there's there's lots of comments about how Nadia never smiled when she was in the Olympics and in the spotlight, and they defected to become part of the USA Olympics, oh. right? So there was and, something like set up there. Like I swear, there's some dirty behind door dealing. Like oh, you guys, oh yeah, are going to defect for us and bring your expertise. Yeah, Ugh, yeah, it's awful. And I can only imagine how much they make by having that Caroli Ranch in Texas where they train all the athletes. And it's such a business, right? Like you said, it's it's a lot of the marketing where they get the money. But I imagine there is a lot of fees and payments that these athletes' parents pay for to have their gymnasts go to these camps and be part of all this. So yeah, lots of shady deals, I'm sure. Oh, so much. It's these sports are very, very expensive. Oh yeah. Very expensive. Any top athlete is spending an absolute fortune to get there. And and that's why, like, if you ever watch I Tanya, like, you know, because she didn't win, you know, she was poor and she didn't win a medal. And therefore mm-hmm. she didn't get any sponsorships. So she never made any money. So that's the hard part, right? If you don't make the top prize, if you don't get the gold medals or at least some medal placement, you're not going to get any endorsements. And that's where you recoup the money. Exactly. No, and, and it's, it is this issue where 
people who are not already in affluent can't be successful. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. All right. So let's go into some of the victims of this sexual abuse from these predators. So the first one we meet is Maggie. So she was the one who was considered athlete A. And she was abused by Dr. Larry Nasser. And she told her coach, Sarah, and Sarah spoke to the head coach. And then Steve Penny was involved and he called the family and he assured the family that USA Gymnastics would take care of things. But of course, he took five weeks to report it to the FBI. During this time, while they're investigating all this, Dr. Nasser had another 13 months to abuse the girls before he finally left USA Gymnastics. That's what's so upsetting, right? And they were just more concerned with covering this up than really investigating it and taking it seriously. And in the end, this cost Maggie making the Olympic team in 2016. And I can't even imagine how absolutely devastating that must have been for her and how obvious it also seemed that she didn't make the team or even an alternate. Mm -hmm. Because she actually placed higher uh, than the alternates who were chosen. So it was a very obvious slate. And oh yeah, you wouldn't have known that without seeing this documentary. There probably, you might've raised an eyebrow or two, but you never would have really known why. Um, yeah, because obviously we didn't really know that this was happening and she had been injured before. So if anything, I was thinking, oh, maybe she didn't make the team because her injuries were too bad or something like that. Oh, it's terrible. And so we do hear about the contrast between the Corollis and Dr. Nassar and he's Nassar's often painted as this, like the good guy in, in, gymnastics the one who was on their side and he he was helping them and like supporting them and the only like the only light at the end of the tunnel it kind of seemed oh yeah because these girls were being you know emotionally and emotionally and psychologically abused and they were you know being forced to like starve themselves and things like that and he would sneak them candy and you know try and be positive and happy and kind to them. So oh, he was just, it was just the ultimate grooming, you know, like we hear this so many times, Michelle, that oh, we would never think that this person would be mm-hmm. such a terrible person. Like always it's, it's a common trope. So he was that perfect cover and the getting in as close as he could. So he actually made hundreds of, coaching videos kind of thing to help support other people who are rehabilitating their own child athlete or who want to become involved in sports rehabilitation and so he would film these videos using the athletes and show his his patented and special techniques because you know he had all these special techniques and he would use lots and lots of really technical language and talk about the skeleton and the muscles in a way that made, you know, really made it sound like what he was doing was real and and valid. And he always could explain his borderline inappropriateness. And in some of the videos we saw, he would be touching the girls, even inappropriately on that video, like placing his hands between their buttocks and on their groin, very close to their vaginas, things like that. And 
And, you know, he was very comfortable doing it and, and just acting like it was totally normal. After I watched the documentary, I was thinking about it. I'm just like, well, yeah, like I think about the types of injuries they would have. And like, you're kind of like, okay, he makes it sound legit. Like, and that this is a serious treatment and it's probably just bullshit. <laughs> but if you don't know these things... Well, Ugh. you don't need to do vaginal penetration oh, God, no. to do but a I'm toxic talking... readjustment. No, I have broken my tailbone. Not a single <laughs> doctor stuck their fingers in my vagina to readjust it. But You're I mean, kidding. like, no, I know, right? And not in my butt either, because he was talking about having to do anal penetration for the Cossacks. And I was like, what? But, you know, when they were doing that taping, that really close groin taping and stuff like that, I was kind of like, Okay, like as someone who has really a really tight groin and often has issues with that with yoga and stuff like that, I was like, okay, kind of makes sense, but not at the same. You know, like I mean that the the not obviously inappropriate touching Michelle because obviously there needs to be no insertion. But yeah, he really gained their trust and he was nice and he had you know he had all these relationships with all these Olympians and he used that to his advantage. I honestly wonder if those conversations were like fake where the athletes would call him and he would have a chat with them on the phone while the right. other while the other gymnasts were in the room just to like continue the grooming process. But yeah. obviously he was breaking his Hippocratic oath by even having those conversations in front of those girls. And that's not brought up. Mm-hmm. But so he did use his influence to the best of his ability. Oh, it's just, it's disgusting. It's classic yeah. grooming. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So... Rachel Denhollander was one of the first victims to come forward after Maggie had made her claims. So she didn't want to come forward because obviously of the blame and shame of society. And she has suffered so much because of her coming forward. She has suffered a lot of abuse online and like had to leave her church and things like that. Her story is really interesting, too, because she wasn't even an elite gymnast. She was one of those gymnasts who was like a lower level kind of okay gymnast, but she still managed to get entangled in Dr. Nassar's web. And her story reminded me so much of I, Tanya, (laughs) Tanya's story. So Rachel Denhollander was a former gymnastics who ended up filing a report with the Michigan State University Police Department after... Maggie's allegations that come forward. So the Indianapolis Indy Star, sorry, had put an article out. And after that happened, she called, told the police about this. So she was one of the first of more than 265 women to come forward alleging abuse by Nassar. And at the time, she had disclosed it to her coach, but it was not taken seriously. And she was basically told to keep quiet. It's incredible because Nassar abused her while her mother was present. Yes. And then it continued escalating over time. And it's just like, oh, my God. Like, he was so brazen and bold for him to abuse her. Like, well, an adult was present. And that means, like, he knew. He had his techniques down. He knew exactly what he could do without anyone noticing. So she hadn't come forward because... Like, as a lawyer, she knows what it's like when victims of sexual abuse come forward. There is so much shame and, like, shame put on them from society and blame. And, you know, you just get dragged through the mud and your whole entire life becomes transparent and open to everyone, for everyone to judge. And because she knew it would be so stressful. But after seeing the article, 
obviously she changed her mind and she ended up becoming one of the forerunners of this case. Like other women who came forward said that she basically was in charge of making sure all the women were okay with their statements and and championing for them and helping them. She was given quite a few awards after coming forward, after the trial had happened to like for her leadership and for all of her advocacy work. She's now currently undertaking full full-time advocacy work and she's still fighting to see changes being made within gymnastics because she understands that even though Nassar is behind bars, that this isn't completely swept under the rug and done and dusted. There's so much more that needs to be changed. I I found her really interesting. I felt like she was so instrumental in getting this case even to where it got to, right? Because Mm -hmm. she was the one that was willing to go on the record and put her face to this whole scandal and take the hits and the backlash. And, you know, when she talked about her story and it happening to her, you know, she was so dismissed that, you know, I'm sure she somewhat, buried it a little bit and then when this article came out she was like yeah no something's got to be done it wasn't just me right as a gymnast and a lawyer I think they really needed someone like that you know to make it make because she did impact the case so much oh it's incredible it was it was so the next one was Jamie yeah, Jamie kind of really broke my heart. I'll I'll just start by saying that. So she was determined to go to the Olympics. Of course, she had all kinds of injuries as she was making her way up there. And she talked a lot about that kind of physical toll on her body by making it to the, uh, trying to get to the Olympics, all the injuries she had and they weren't believed and so much focus on her weight. And you really could see how she was victimized and put down and made to feel like her you know her opinions and her thoughts didn't matter I think what I found compelling about her is I think her story really is what a lot of victims will think she didn't think it was abuse she thought he was the only nice adult in her life She looked forward to seeing him and being able to have a break from everything else that's going on. And I think a lot of people just don't understand this thinking and how much these girls are manipulated and don't really understand what's happening. And she really highlighted that in her story. And Mm -hmm. I think athletes, I kind of wonder if they're just even more vulnerable because they're so insulated in their life their whole life is just gymnastics school in the gym school in the gym school in the gym they're not exposed to as much as other kids probably other 16 year olds and I think that makes them more vulnerable and they also have so much to lose by telling the truth because their whole career is on the line and they've worked Mm -hmm. their whole life to try to make it to the Olympics so do you really want to be like Maggie who says something and then doesn't even make the Olympic team or an alternate when she really should have Right. And she even talked about making it to the Olympics and how she wasn't even happy to really be there and that she was abused while she was at the Olympics by Dr. Nasser. I know that actually made me cry. I was mm-hmm. it was just heartbreaking. And you could see how much she still struggled with that abuse to this day. And it yes. has impacted her whole entire 
itself and life and the way she views herself like this abuse doesn't end once it's over it impacts these people for the rest of their lives and I think that is something we really need to remember and it's not something that we can just sweep under the rug and it does come up again oh so her struggle was was very it was very emotional and just yes such a sad story Mm-hmm. It was. So we also heard from Jennifer Say. So she's the one who wrote the book, Chalked Up, which I really want to read. Has anyone read this book? I've yeah. been reading some reviews on on Goodreads. So listeners, if you've read it, let us know. Or if you have read other books about this topic, we would love to hear about it. So she was an early gymnast. So she was a gymnast in the 80s. And she was thoroughly inspired after seeing Nadia compete. And it changed the trajectory of her gymnastics career, essentially, because before she saw Nadia in that Olympics, she was like, you know, just uh, I do gymnastics for fun and and I just go as as an after school activity kind of thing. And then she went from that to being. No, I want to be elite. I want to actually do this. So she basically started training more and more and then they realized she had a lot of potential so she changed um she changed clubs and I was reading about it and she when she was doing gymnastics she said before she changed clubs that she had this really supportive amazing coach who cared so much about the girls and cared so much about their well-being you know and and always was uh encouraging them to have like a life outside of gymnastics and to take care of themselves and and to be like you know very very positive so think she has just gone from this incredibly supportive amazing environment to a new one that's elite very abusive mentally psychologically and at 14 she moved into into the same house as her coach because it was taking too long for her to commute from her house, but it also helped facilitate even more emotional and psychological abuse at the hands of her coach because the coach had access to her 24-7 now with no parents. Like, her parents yes. weren't there. They just – and I couldn't get over that. I'm like, you let your 14-year-old daughter move in with probably a male coach. Like, I, I doubt it was even a female coach. So I'm just like, oh, my God, how many people have probably done this with their child at an elite level? Because they're thinking this is the best thing for them and this is what's going to get them to the Olympics. So she suffered from a lot of injuries because of her low weight, developed an eating disorder and severe depression because of the emotional and psychological abuse that she was suffering at the hands of coaches. And she even said other gymnasts. The other gymnasts were just awful to each other because they're competing against one another. And if one goes down... That's one less to compete against for a spot, for attention, for things like that. So there wasn't even any camaraderie for her. So she retired in 1988, even though she was an Olympic hopeful. And her parents were actually really against her retiring. And it took a lot of convincing. She said that she was suicidal at the time. Her parents didn't want to let her. So they were pressuring her to stay because they wanted her to make the Olympics. And this is what we've been talking about. Like, it's not just the coaches. It's also the parents that are allowing this abuse to happen and then not supporting their children when they were like, hey, I want to kill myself because being a gymnast is so horrible and I can't take this any longer. And they're like, but you could be an Olympian. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me, Michelle? 
Well, I mean, it doesn't shock me considering like in I Canada, know. practically every boy child plays hockey. Mm-hmm. And you see how much sacrifice parents make for these kids to play hockey, not even at a very high level. So oh, I imagine when you've put all that time, money and commitment into it, you're almost as invested as the kids. Like you, mm-hmm. when you heard Maggie's parents saying how their whole life was taking her to gyms and competitions. And then the other thing that you hear, you know, I hear this from parents is, your whole social life is connected to those parents, right? Mm -hmm. So all your friends are all the other parents from the gymnastics team, right? So you become very invested socially in that circle. It's not even just in your child, but it's it's your whole entire life, just like it's the child's whole entire life. When they get to that elite level, the parents almost become celebrities in themselves. Like they get to be on television, you know, like it's not just their child. So there probably is a bit of that like fame hunger along with it. Like they like that recognition just as much as their child does. So she wrote the book in 2008 um, and it it focused on her struggles with eating disorder, the pressure of the sport and how challenging it can be to have such involved and like pressuring parents. So over-involved like sports parents. And she received so much backlash and abuse from publishing that book because most people just viewed her as a washed up failed gymnastics uh, gymnast instead of realizing that, no, she was an elite gymnast who chose to retire because of mental health issues and things like that. So it just goes to show like people aren't paying attention to the underlying messages and the underlying issues that are being presented even when they're being presented. So she did say in her book that abusers were everywhere and no one said anything. And you knew who they were. Physical and emotional abuse were rampant and that Marta and Bella were incredibly hard athletes and they had unlimited access to them. Like they went to that ranch. No parents were there. They weren't even allowed to call the children. They weren't like they're so isolated. It just reminds me of cult stuff, Michelle. Like you get them so isolated and then you can brainwash them. It's terrible. Yeah, I think, you know, sometimes these team sports, yeah, the whole culture of it can be kind of cult-like. Mhm. Mm-hmm. So, I was doing some research because like she never really says that she suffered sexual abuse she knows that the abusers were Mm. there but she never said whether or not she was abused and she doesn't touch on it in her book and when she like she was a part of the the court case but she was used more as someone to kind of like prove the history of abuse and psychological abuse at the hands of the coaches and like this culture as opposed to a victim of sexual abuse. But so I'm I'm really wondering if she was abused or not, or if she just wasn't yeah. willing to come forward with her story. So I was curious about that too, because she doesn't say anything. Mm-hmm. In the documentary, we saw a team of investigative journalists from the Indie Star who were exceptionally dedicated to uncovering the abuse and detailing its true extent in order to ensure all people involved were persecuted and not just Nassar. So this team was composed of Steve Berta, Mark Alessia, Marissa 
Kwiatowski, Tim Evans, and Robert Shear, and they worked together seamlessly. It was incredible to see them. Mm. I thought they just did such a great job with the investigation and their reporting. The impact of the articles they published was invaluable. It influenced many of the victims to come forward and share their testimonials. If you think about that, they published the article and they kept getting calls and calls and calls from victims. And Mm -hmm. I think without that article being published, all these victims wouldn't have been found and wouldn't have come forward. And also, Mm -hmm. like, they were just so smart. They saw that it was a lot deeper than just Nasser. And I think a a lot of people, once Nasser was arrested, they were like, we got him. It's all good. But they're like, no, guys. This is much bigger than him. So yeah. I just love that. Like, and I love that they, w- they were gunning for Stephen Penny and mm-hmm. the others that were involved. And they knew, like, they uncovered the stuff about the FBI involvement and the dirty dealing. And so for me, I'm just like, I love that because they could have just stopped. They could have stopped there too because they had done a lot and you know they had gotten some fame and recognition for their help so they could have been like no guys we're good but they were true investigative journalists and they have they still to this day are still investigating and still making sure that justice is fully and truly served and that changes are made within the gymnastics community you know I just have to say I think This documentary, this is one of the minor threads that I think people may miss when they watch this. But without this investigative journalism, I don't know if any of this would have ever come out. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, with the way society is going, we don't have newspapers like we used to. And this investigative journalism is a bit of a dying career. Because newspapers can't afford to pay for this big investigative journalism project and keep their newspaper going. So mm-hmm. you, I've read so many articles about this and the fact that these are the people who really are uncovering the truth about many, many topics. But instead, we're going towards more online news media, which is it credible? Is it not credible? It's very hard to say. Like, you know, if you read something in one of these reputable newspapers that it's it's going to be fairly factual and hopefully quite accurate and that they've done some research behind it. But, you know, if you're just hearing it on TMZ, the latest, you know, celebrity gossip, who knows what's true and what's not. And I know that's being like really controversy, but like contrasting. But I think the other thing is that's the kind of media people want to hear about. They want to hear about all these celebrities. And I use that term very loosely because we all know how Chelsea and I feel about the Kardashians, you know, (laughs) not our favorite people. But, you know, it's not about what the Kardashians are doing today and what they're wearing today. But that's what a lot of people are out to read about. They don't care about these big investigative journalist articles and it's you know even magazines are going by the wayside so I think it really highlights how important this job is and how we need to save this industry because they're the ones that are getting the truth out there about numerous topics no it's it's so true the host of behind the bastards talks about it all the time because he's actually an investigative journalist like Mm. he's covered everything he's been in all the like 
He's been in Afghanistan, Syria, all of those places doing investigative journalism. And then he was in um, he was working in the States when they just fired everyone. All the papers lost their funding and they, you know, because there was a big move to try and get rid of them. And part of that is, is if we don't have these people and we limit the intelligence and, and the depth of what news quality of news people are are being exposed to then we're creating people who are easier to manipulate with social media easier to pull the wool over their eyes and like if you don't know what's going on in the world how can you make informed decisions and how can you know you need to question things so it's a lot easier to just create sheeple like it's it's really bad yes Um, I agree with you and there's been a huge move towards uh multimedia reporting so like doing videos instead of of articles and that's another reason why so there's so many of these investigative reporting podcasts now is because people like these investigative journalists can't work as journalists it's so depressing and unless you know the right podcast how are you ever going to hear about this yeah and it's true like (sighs) i think a lot of them are going to that podcast format, which I love. Like we've mm-hmm. we've listened to quite a few of these, and boy, you know. And the other advantage I think of the podcast is they can really delve deep into a lot of the issues in a lot more detail than you can necessarily get in a newspaper article. So it's a wonderful medium for these investigative journalist stories. Like, you know, we've talked before about the teacher's pet and Mm -hmm. that podcast led to that guy being arrested. So, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes these podcasts too, just like this article are leading to people being held accountable for their behavior. Exactly. And so my my biggest thing is I just hope enough people are accessing those things and those mediums. Mm-hmm. It's just it's really sad the just the paths that we're taking and how easy people like they don't want to know about the difficult things in life and they don't want to know about the struggles that are going on. They just want easy breezy news. And that's mm-hmm. not that's not real life oh it's that is why I made sure I named the journalists because they deserve to be named I remember watching that documentary and I was just like who are those people again like I know they're the journalists but who are they what are their names yeah they played they played such a huge role and I think you're right like they could have easily dropped the story after Dr. Nassar was charged but they didn't because they knew there was others and so it was great that in the end we that Steve Penny did get arrested for tampering with evidence. So he was arrested. Basically what happened is like after he had his indictment and went in front of the senators and was like, I can't say anything guys. Like just an absolute idiot. I do love that the Senator held him accountable. That was so great where he was like, you realize you have a moral obligation. And he's like, Oh, well, so it made him look it made him look so bad, which I loved. I was just so happy. But so he basically disappeared after that and they tracked him down and arrested him. So he was arrested and then he was tried. And so he's been permanently banned from the USA gymnastics organization and all sporting stuff. So the USA Gymnastics almost lost their ability to choose the Olympic sports teams because of Stephen Penny. So they, Mm. on a condition, he had to be 
permanently banned and removed from all sporting. And also he was fined. So like, yeah, he, I think he was fined, but like, it's still happening right now. So his stuff is still going on and it's not completely sorted. See, I think like Stephen Penny and Bella and Marta and these people who didn't do anything about these allegations should get a charge, like a conviction of endangering a minor so that they never get any jobs with children again. Well, and Evan and I were talking about that. Like, for me, I'm just like, what do you mean it's so easy? Like, so if you're going to volunteer at a school or you're going to work with children um, in that kind of a scenario or even if you're a parent coming into the school you have to have a police check you have to be vetted you have to be so for me for them not to have all these vettings and also it was well known that Bella and Marta had a cult of abuse and that they treated these athletes like shit so for them to not receive any punitive stuff was just ridiculous like they were putting children in danger this is what gets me because then they can get another job and continue to do that. Right. So that's why I say, I think they need to have some sort of charge around endangering a minor so that when they have to do a criminal record check for their future jobs, that will come up. So this was an update. So I have an update on Stephen Penny from June. I haven't been able to find anything past June for much of the athlete a stuff. So he was convicted and pleaded. So he, pleaded not guilty in Texas in 2018 for his charge of tampering with evidence. And he will face two to 10 years if, if convicted. And he was also in, he was also accused of destroying and hiding documents related to the activities of Nassar and the Caroli ranch. So he's out right now on a $20,000 bond. So it's still ongoing. And yeah, and I just think like it goes deeper than him, though. Also, the indie star were the ones who broke the story that the FBI was involved. Like yeah. they found some incredible stuff. Oh, and there's an, an actual FBI investigation going on. So like people are investigating the FBI Good. and their involvement in this. So it, it's going to be so incredible to see how this all pans out. Way to go, indie star, and way to go, girls, going after these these guys who abused you. Mm-hmm. It's so incredible. Yeah. Oh, we need more people like the indie star investigative journalists in the world. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And these girls that were willing to oh, yes. come forward and, and make their statements, like, thank goodness, you know, they heard the article and they took action, you know, yeah. and felt finally somebody's validating what happened to them. And even Jamie, who almost seemed like even in the documentaries, she was still questioning whether this was abuse or not. Right. But she she came forward. She did it. She came forward. There was part of her knew it wasn't okay. So what are your final thoughts about this documentary, Chelsea? Oh, I just want to know so much more. Like, I want to hear the conclusion. And I just, I, I, it just left me wanting so much more. Like, I think there needs to be huge change in the gymnastics industry and in other industries. Like, guys, this is going on in figure skating, too. You know, this is not the only sport. And I think it's a really big, a really 
important thing that we need to take a serious look at the importance of elite athletics and what is really happening to these athletes behind closed doors and also looking at what's going on with the Olympics and things like that. Like, what is the Olympics becoming? Is this actually benefiting people? Is it happening for the right reason? You know, I must say when I I should have mentioned this earlier, and I'll just go off topic a little bit before I say my final thoughts. But I did try to do some research into minimum age to be in the Olympics. So is it 16 Hmm. for all categories? No, No, it's different. I I did the research on minimum age. And so every sport has a governing body that says a minimum age for each sport and it's different so it's not necessarily 16 across the whole board I don't think it's younger than 16 but I I think like in a lot of sports there are people who they don't even really start competing until they're in their 20s because they hit their peak at a different time I think it should be at least 18 I I agree. And that's one of those things with like that look at the Olympics, like we need to do something to protect these young children. So for lack of a better word, I did enjoy the documentary. Mm -hmm. I was happy that these ladies made it through their experience and hopefully are stronger for it. And it was great to see that Maggie's doing great and she's doing Mm -hmm. gymnastics for her college, which I was happy to see because I could see being totally turned off of it from uh, her experience. But, you know, the number of athletes that were victims in this was unbelievable, just how widespread this was. But the victim statements were so powerful, and I was really glad they included that in this documentary. Um, Mm -hmm. But justice hasn't really been fully served because the people who covered it up have not really been fully held accountable. So it really shows, again, like I said at the beginning, that these young girls were not considered important enough to protect, despite USA Gymnastics statement of what they do. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It was such a great documentary. I think it's really important to have documentaries like this. Yeah. All right, listeners. Well, I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. So if you could please leave us a five-star review, we'd really appreciate it because it helps us get the word out about the podcast. And you can follow us on Twitter at docu underscore talk, on Instagram at docu underscore talk. If you have any books on the subject that you want to tell us about feel free to let us know I think I'm going to be reading some of them as soon as I can yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm. all right so for our next episode Chelsea is jumping to talk about the social dilemma so that's what we're going to be doing next episode so please take a listen to that or a watch to that and then we'll be talking about the whole issue with social media. Very exciting. I've seen it to you. So um, I'm excited to cover it. Oh, I'm so excited. It's one of the best documentaries I think I've watched this year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's going to be a two-hour podcast, listeners. <laughs> no. Okay, oh, thank please. you so much. <laughs> I'm going to have to rein you in. I can see it now. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for listening to us. I hope you enjoyed our discussion on this documentary. All right. Thank you, listeners.